Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the American Masterminds Podcast. Each episode, we invite extraordinary guests who are masters of their craft, they're innovators, entrepreneurs, and of course, motorcycle enthusiasts who have made their mark in the world. They share their stories, insights, and hard-earned wisdom, giving you a front row seat to the strategies and experiences that shape their successes. So sit back, grab a drink, and get ready for an exhilarating ride as we dive deep into the minds of these exceptional individuals. Along the way, we'll uncover powerful strategies, gain fresh perspectives, and explore the limitless possibilities of what it takes to be an American mastermind. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the American Masterminds podcast. We are joined tonight with a very, very special guest. But first, let me introduce my co-host, Mr. Rob Adams. Hey, hey. And we've got Alec Langdon up on the soundboard. And ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have author and Christmas Box International Executive Director, Celeste Edmonds. Hey, welcome, friends. Celeste. Thanks for having me. So, Celeste, uh, first and foremost, we got to get something out of the way, okay? Because when I was explaining this to, to Alec, and obviously Rob knows a little bit about you, the Christmas box, okay? While it's one of the best uh, organizations and, and causes that I've come across, the name itself really doesn't paint a good picture of what it does. So could you, let's start with that. Could you tell us what the Solid Christmas box question. is? Yeah, so um, our founder, Richard Paul Evans, wrote a little green book called The Christmas Box 30 years ago this year, actually. Wow. So the name comes from that. And the book itself is based on the loss of a child and that... Uh, the only guarantee of childhood, right, is that it will, it will eventually end. So when he decided to become a full-time author and made uh, quite a bit of money, he and his wife decided they wanted to give back, but they weren't quite sure the best way, just that it needed to obviously involve children. So I was his personal assistant at the time 30 years ago. He just wrote that little green book, and he knew that I was raised in child welfare, and so we held a child welfare conference at the University of Utah Graduate School of Social Work, and we just asked simply, what is the single best thing we can do for Utah's children? Well, ironically or not ironically, Utah was one of nine states at the time that was being sued by the National Center for Youth Law for the Mistreatment of Children. What? Um, so at that conference, what we learned and what happened to me and my siblings, my brother and, my brother and sister, is that kids were being, uh, for lack of a better phrase, hot potatoed, you know, just passed around because there was no place to do proper due diligence. There was not that place where they could go, be safe, get all the essential items that they need um, until we could find the best place for them. I mean, do they go into foster care? Is there another family member that can take them? Or under a safety plan with the state, can they return home? Instead, it was just, as a police officer told us, whoever answers the phone first is where I'm going to take this two-year-old. And it's just not the best solution for children. I mean, we need more time. And we also live in a state where we have large families. So if you have three, four, five kids and you remove three, four, five kids, it's gonna be very difficult to find a quick placement for them. So the Christmas Box House was named after the book, The Christmas Box, and it is a temporary emergency shelter. That's the, that is exactly what it is, year round, 365 days a year. Pandemic, no pandemic, good economy, bad economy, doesn't really matter, we always have children. Um, we have three of those emergency shelters in Utah. We have one in Moab, Salt Lake, and Ogden. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is not all kids need to stay at a Christmas box house, but all kids need uh, all the same essential items, right? And so in addition to the Christmas box houses, we have what we call resource rooms. 
We have 22 of those located across the state of Utah. Oh, wow. And those are rooms located in DCFS offices that allow caseworkers to access those resources for the same children that t would come into a Christmas box house. So those are our two biggest programs are the emergency shelters and then the resource rooms. On the three shelters that you have out there, what is the capacity, full capacity, how many children can you be serving at a time? So our Ogden and Salt Lake shelters are about 15,000 square feet and they can hold upwards of 32, 32, 32 33 children uh, at a given time. Our Moab shelters are small rural model, so it's six children. Hmm. Um, and the best thing in my opinion, since I lost my siblings myself, is that we keep a thousand siblings together every year on average. Wow. That's, you know, a thousand brothers and sisters that otherwise would have to be separated and go into different places. And it becomes oddly you, uh, comfortable to, when you, when you are not used to having your parents, um, sometimes that's not the worst part. The worst part is truly losing your siblings. Mm. Because when you're removed, you, you have the loss of parents and then all of your belongings are gone. And then you have the extended family that no longer exists. All the uncles, aunts, relatives, right, that you're used to. So the sibling loss is really the last thing you have that attaches you to the dynamic of who you are. Family. In your world, yeah. yeah. And so keeping a thousand together years, my favorite statistic. That's a great statistic. <laughs> I love that. Can we step back just a little bit further yeah, and talk yeah. about where you came from and that your your upbringing and i think this really kind of um, sets into place why you are so passionate about this mission definitely very passionate about this mission um so i was in and out of foster care or with another family member or in a drug rehabilitation center with my one, one or both of my parents um until i was officially removed at the age of seven um I'm sorry, at the age of nine. Between seven, eight, and nine was probably my, the most trauma I experienced with uh, sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. It was those three years that were probably the most extreme for me. Um, and then age nine, I was adopted into a very, very abusive family um, and ran away by the time I was 15. I lived on the street for about a year, and then I landed, I'm summing it all up, and then I landed in with a family. It's all in the book. Um, that later she adopted me as an adult at age 26. The joke was I came for Thanksgiving dinner, never left because it was like two weeks before Thanksgiving. Mm. And so one thinks, then our nine year Thanksgiving, I just said, hey, can I make a toast to the family? This is the longest I've ever been with a family. And I just wanna say thank you. And my mom literally jumps out of her seat and she's like, I have something I have to tell everybody. And she shares this very emotional story that not even her biological children about losing a child of her own mm. when she was six months pregnant and had, had to have an abortion. And at that time, moms were kind of just sent home, like, figured out, just deal with it, you know, go home, take care of your kids. There was no real emotional trauma that was dealt with. Um, so bless her heart. She carried that secret all of her life. And wow. she said, I was always supposed to have a little girl and it was you. Oh my gosh. So I think we should legally adopt you. And I was like, I was 26, Rob. I'm not crying. You're crying. You got me going. <laughs> I love the story so much. <laughs> so I said, um, you know, I was like, Mom, you know, I'm married at the time, and I already have another last name, and I have, we have two kids. They call you Grandma. I call you Mom. Like, really, it's cool. And she said, no, I think, I think there's something that we're supposed to do here. So lo and behold, you can't just go change your birth certificate. Who would have thought? Yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> you really have to get an attorney. You really have to go before a judge. 
And um, so we did. We filled up a courtroom of 50 people. And a really amazing experience for me happened. And that was, so in downtown Salt Lake, we have basically two courthouses. We have the old one that's now the county building mm -hmm. with the nice clock, right? right? And then we have the new one in front of it with the glass uh, windows. So it had just, the glass one had just opened when I was adopted, February 1st of 2000. And um, I, was, I remember the direction I was facing, standing before the judge, right? So the old courthouse that I was adopted in the first time was behind me. So I had like this really metaphorical moment, you know, very symbolic moment going on. And the judge is just smiling, like grinning. He said, I've never done an adult adoption. Like, <laughs> it's usually so difficult. Yeah. Um, and he's like, so I feel like you guys should say something. So I liken it kind of to the wedding vow thing. Oh. So I look at my mom and I'm like, what are you going to say? She's like, I don't know. What are you going to say? So she shares her experience about losing a child and like I was her girl. And I just immediately knew and I said, you know what? I was standing, interestingly enough, in the courthouse behind me all those years ago and I was standing in, in a judge's chambers and I had been told my whole life how lucky I would be if I was ever adopted because older children don't get adopted as a matter of fact if a kiddo reaches age of four chances of adoption drop 50 percent what so everybody's like you're so lucky you're so lucky and I remember thinking wow your version of lucky and mine are really different, different. because this is not what luck feels like to me and um I was like, but now, you know, moving forward, like I'm literally looking forward and I'm choosing this family that I'm with. And it's a family that my mom says homes where they have to keep you. Mm. You don't get kicked out. You don't get shifted around. We take all the strays, animals and people every Thanksgiving. And it's, um, it did make an unusual closure for me that I didn't expect. And so the book kind of ends at that moment, by the way. Well, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. Well, we're picking the story up from there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then, then what happened? And then, <laughs> you know, marriage, kids, all the things. And um, we launched the Christmas box, you know, a few years later. And um, it just totally changed my life because Christmas box house is more than just a charity for me. I mean, it's a legacy. It is what I will leave behind knowing that I left the world a much better place than I had it as a mm. child. There's no question in my heart or my mind about that. Um, and it brings, you know, a, a, a lot of hope to children that come to the shelter because we can't do anything to change what has happened to them when they come to us. But what we can do is follow our model, our motto, and that's every child deserves a childhood. Mm. So the moment they come to the shelter, whether they're getting every single essential item that they need, um, new, new only, um, Toys, clothes, books, hygiene items, stuffed animals. I mean, literally anything you'd buy your child, obviously they need. Because when a kiddo's removed, what they have on them is what they're going to have. Right. You know, it's not like, hey, pack a bag in 30 minutes. We're going to go on a little trip. It's usually Load up. very traumatic. Yeah. Yep. I've heard there nothing can but be, horror stories. Yeah, there can this. be police officers involved. There can be, I mean, I have stories of hiding my dad under a couch thinking I was like, no one's going to see him. Obviously, there's a... Yeah. There's a space there. There's a pocket. The yeah. Officers like, I could tell when that happened, that particular situation. He, I now in retrospect feel much sorrier for him, because I can recall the look on his face like, okay, here's this seven, seven, eight year old girl, right, and she's like, my dad's not here, you can't see my dad, thinking I'm like, doing almighty. your part. Yeah. Um, and he. He's kind of trying to gently pull me away. Well, even then, I was a bit feisty. So he ends up just having to pick me up while I'm just losing my mind. 
And thinking back, I'm like, that had to have been so hard for him to know that I was like, you can't have my dad, and I'm screaming, and they're handcuffing and taking him away. That is very much the type of experience that happens. And so by the time they get into the shelter, they're freaked out, they're super scared, they certainly don't want to talk about what's going on in their life. And so I'm like, what can we do that symbolizes a level of you're still a kid? Well, for one, if you're the oldest, like I was, and your mom, for them to have 30 minute breaks of not parenting is a brand new concept for them. Oh. Hey, I don't know, why don't you play, go ahead and play on the playground, Rob. Why don't you take a turn getting your food first? Why don't you get ice cream with all the toppings you want and we'll worry about your siblings. And it's, it's a bit difficult for them at first. And then all of a sudden you kind of see this like, oh, this that's, little... that's what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> like, can I ride a bike and go around the bike track? We're like, yeah, you can do that a lot. Cause this is what you do when you're a kid. Wow. Like you get to be off. Hmm. And so it's just kind of like those special moments that we just get to remind them that they get to have hope and community and, you know, all the love vibes that they're supposed to have as a kiddo that just otherwise maybe they've never even experienced before. It's never even crossed their mind. No, because you're, when you're in it, it you know, I, 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 didn't ex- I didn't realize the extent of this until this past year writing my story. And that is um, you're, when you're surviving it and you're in it, any, any traumatic situation, you're really moving forward by nature of the fact that you just kind of have to. Right. Um, so you just keep pushing through and pushing through. Well, when you go back and revisit something that you need to process and write, there, now you're actually living the experience because you're not pushing through it. You're putting yourself in it to recall it mm. and you're writing it. So it's like, oh, that is happening. That didn't happen to that girl. That mm. happened to me. That was my story. Mm. And it, the process is pretty intense. Um, but I actually recommend everybody write their story. You don't have to publish it. But I feel like what you learn about yourself is truly remarkable. Mm. Um, like, wow, look what I've accomplished through whatever you know years. Yeah. And you kind of get to celebrate your own success. And mm. I don't think there's a better way of doing it than actually writing your story. Because everybody has one. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody has one. You know, everybody has their stuff. Mm. And it's, yeah, remarkably, remarkably difficult. Probably the, it is the single hardest thing I've ever done. And I've had delivered three children. <laughs> <laughs> For the record. For the record. But, yeah, the, the book thing's quite difficult. But. That's interesting. I can imagine um, the healing that you would have in, like, just getting it out. Like, this, yeah. this isn't just something I remember. This is, here it is. Here it is. It would be almost... Um, that vulnerability. Ooh, yeah, I would say it's it. like, okay, well, here's here's my journal. I hope it's okay. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> Read my very personal life, like just what happened. A little awkward, but um, you know, it's kind of the best way to, to make an impact. And I really want people to know what it's like to grow up in a system and mm. not grow up in a home mm. that's truly like your home. Every time, you know, it's called Garbage Bag Girl is the name of the book because. Um, Every time I was moved every six months, because for me, going through child welfare, there was this philosophy at the time that keep transitioning the kids because they're not going to stay with the family anyway. So why should they get attached? Right. Keep moving them. Well, now we know that's extremely unhealthy. Bull crap. Yeah. Whether you stay a family for a minute or forever, you need to have those human attachments. Yeah. But at that time, so it was every six months. So I lived in about 31, 32 cities by the time I was 16. What? And it was. I mean, I have a great appreciation for world travel. Yeah. I'm just saying. Um, but two schools a, a year. And I'm, I mean, it was, it was easy to kind of learn to start to like say, hi, I'm Celeste. I make friends. But 
you know, looking back, I realized I didn't ever make the same kind of connections that some people make in terms of, oh, I come from this town. And yeah, I, we've been friends since the third grade. Yeah, our, our families know each other, and I can call you anytime. Like, I don't know that concept. Mm. And um, most of the kids that stay with us will never know that concept either. So it's, it's, it's kind of a heavy, heavy responsibility. But every time I moved... Um, placements, I was like, okay, in 30 to 45 seconds, I'm going to quickly pack up everything I have in this garbage sack, mm. and then I'm going to go to the next home, and I'm going to start asking to borrow items. Um, do you have hygiene products? You know, Do you have a pair of shorts? Because I get my very last visit with my dad this coming Saturday, and I want to be really cute. This is when I was eight, mm. and I knew that was the last visit. It's like, I have to borrow everything. So when people are like, why do you only collect new stuff? Like, here's a perfect example. When we opened uh, 27 years ago, I asked um, eight-year-old Kimberly. She had long black hair. And obviously, she was eight, and eight was an impactful year for me. So it was a very emotional moment. And I was like, hey, Kimberly, what do you want for Christmas? If I can make it happen, it's, it's, happen. it's on. Yeah. yeah. And she sits there. It felt like a long time. It was probably like two minutes. And she said, I'll just have a shirt with a tag on it. That's all she wanted was something like, new. Know, that was hers. I ten shirts with tags on it. You have a preference yeah. in colors. Wow. I was like, long sleeve, short sleeve. But I was like, you can ask for anything, Kimberly. And her point was like, I, I don't really need what you probably think I'm going to ask for. Yeah. I just need comfort and hope and new and not have to ask for a second to borrow something all mm. the time. And so in 27 years, I'm proud to say no child's left the Christmas box house with a freaking garbage sack. They've all picked a duffel bag or a backpack or whatever is meaningful to them. And then everything they get that's brand new goes in it. And then everything that they need when they leave that's new for the next placement, it's all their stuff. And it's, we have kids now after being around so long that are alumni, that are adults. And I had this really cool opportunity last summer to interview three of them. They all came back to the Salt Lake house for the first time since they were a kid. Wow. So I have this cool footage of like, I would tell the camera crew, just stay back. Just like, wait a minute, let them catch their breath and let's just see where they go. Every single one of them followed the same little path, ironically. They weren't even there at the same time. They touched the stuffed animals. They walked around the tree that they see for the first, like they went through their first experience of moving through the house and they speak about the same experiences of what it meant to them and that they still have those first new items they ever got in their life to this day. One's like, Ricky the raccoon. <laughs> like, you're Ricky the raccoon? cool i love ricky the raccoon like it's it it's the smallest acts smallest acts of kindness the smallest one-offs that make the most most the biggest impact to the kids and so it's pretty awesome that is so awesome that is, that is <laughs> clearly i'm awesome. really passionate <laughs> i love that i love the connection and the newness of the item and this is mine and it's meaningful and it gives me yeah almost an identity like I am worthy of having Ricky the raccoon like it was a gift for me that's right and having that means I matter and I'm, I'm a real person and yep. it, yeah it's like that first connection of uh that's meaningful that's yeah that's powerful they 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 all speak of that I mean it was it was not ironic or coincidental it was that's we knew that's what mattered and then they we told them you know where all this stuff comes from right like the community people you've never even met in your whole life and from personal experience I know that to be heart-wrenching and beautiful and all those things because 
at the time you're going through that, there's you're thinking no one's on your side, right? You're, you're alone. Like, huh. I mean, the moment somebody was like, hey, Celeste, I'm like, already packing. I mean, I just kind of knew. I mean, it's when I was adopted at 26, it's because my, the first thing my mom said to me, my mom, who I call mom, who adopted me as an adult, I was um, 16 and she comes walking in the, the kitchen and she says, I- I'm doing dishes because I learned that if I clean, people would ask me to leave less hmm. and I'm really good at it. So she's like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. It's you know what, it's fine, don't feel bad, everything's fine, every six months, this is what we do. And she said, you know, you don't have to be perfect to live here, right? Mm. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but okay. She's like, you don't have to clean, you don't have to do the dishes, you don't have to cook, you don't have to do something every second to stay here. Home, that's when she first said, home's where they have to keep you. That's just the way it is. Mm. And I was like, okay, something's coming up. (laughs) I just couldn't get my head around it, which is why I think ultimately the adoption was so critical, because I... I've always had this feeling of, you know, the mic's going to drop, right? The Someone's going to pull the rug out. I mean, I, I struggle with it today for sure. Not nearly as bad, but there's kind of this constant like, all right, I'm going to get booted out at any minute. It's fine. Mm. My stuff's always ready. I don't want to be in the way. It's, it's gathered up I'm like in a neat little spot. I can be out of here in a sec. It's interesting. That's so how you were um, of the mind that I'm going to prove my value. I'm, yes. I'm worth having here. Let me show you. That's, that's right. That's but, exactly that's exactly what it is. There's always a need to be validated, yeah, um, because you don't know how to find that within until you, you know you're o- you're older and maybe you seek help and you you figure that out. You don't know that that value has to come within yourself. You can't keep seeking it from other people. Yeah, or it'll never be filled. That's right. That's wow. right. And so yeah, it's in learning that lesson. Um, I I think this is is probably one of the most important lessons in our lives is finding is is knowing that i am valuable regardless of what other people think of me and i'm I'm valuable um as a person the second i was born you cannot add to or take away the value that i came with there's no doctor that holds up a baby and says quick nurse bring me a shot of value you know (laughs) that's totally true it's because it's like what's the what's the one thing that's going to uniquely differentiate everybody no one's gonna have the same same dna right your unique value is is truly that it's so unique but you get beat down enough and you get you know, told you're worthless enough. And at some point, you just don't believe it. I can guarantee you, you're not born thinking that. Right. I think right. you're pretty. You watch little kids. Mm-hmm. They're pretty invincible. Yeah. They're like, walking around in <laughs> I'm a t-shirt. Run that wall, get back boots. up and do it again. Yeah. yeah. Whatever they want. They don't care. Yeah. And then we grow up and then we start to learn these beliefs, these lies. They're, they're really right. lies. That's right. Um, because it's not congruent with who we are. I don't believe that I'm worthy, but somehow I know I'm intrinsically infinitely valuable and so that is a lie right that's right and i i love that um the gift the uh, the the thing that you're giving them the newness and that is is starting that story and i it's i may be adding too much to uh ricky the raccoon but i can really see that a person for the first time thinking oh yeah i I am loved that's right that's powerful and they they get to select everything that's new right it's not even like they're handed it they walk in and they're we're like you can have whatever stuff down when you want well there's shelves of them you know it's from disney to whatever star wars to, it doesn't really matter yeah. you want a yoda you want to right. someone like no i just want this little guy great yeah so they start there and then everything that they get and they pick out as they accumulate it that's new it continues to belong to them but they've They've actually picked it out for hmm. themselves. Not like, here's a pair of shorts, throw them on. Yeah. Do what you get and don't throw a fit, like my mom says. Yeah. Not the same concept at the Christmas huh. box house. 
So that being said, where does a Christmas box um, get the ability to have all this newness available for 33 kids in two different locations and six kids in Moab? That's a lot happening all the time, plus all of the resource centers. That's a lot to manage. Yep, it is a lot to manage. It's uh, $800,000 a year on average of in-kind donations. We oh, now have man. a donation center off the 4500 South uh, I-15 exit in Murray. Um, just to be able to manage that type of load. There's only six of us. We do utilize volunteers as well. And um, it, so our belief is also that no donation goes wasted ever, nor does it get stored for an entire year. Mm. Because it, I believe everything belongs in the hands of a child or a family as fast as we can get it, mm. um, which means we're very reliant on the community because we don't get into the hoard concepts. Like we know there's gonna be enough, there always is. Um, so we source to the Christmas box shelters first, the three resource rooms. Then we source out to the 22 resource rooms, and that's 14 counties. Uh, my goal is to be in all 29 in the next three years. Mm. Oh, wow. And then we will provide for all 1,000 caseworkers in the state, which I know I'll feel really good that we are providing for all children at that point that need that um, in DCFS care. What a tremendous goal in the next, so how long? So we doubled in the last two and a half years. We went from 12 to 22. Um, and I want in the next three years, I want to be in all 29 counties. So we're in 14 counties. So we source to them next. And then we have this cool event every spring called our partner share. And we have over 80 partners in the community that we reach out to. We say for these two days, our donation center is open. We have what we need for the year. Whatever we have that you need, you come and take it. And they basically come shop um, our, our partners uh, in the community because really, I believe there's no need for um, competition in nonprofits. I think it's a huge mistake to get into the why would you give to me over you. Right. It's more um, if I'm not the right fit for you, Rob's charity might be the right fit for you, right? And that's why we have the groups where we get together and we're like, well, what do you need? Well, what do you need? Well, you know what I have? Oh, you know what? I got one of those. Oh, and I have one of those. And we synergize because the nonprofit world offsets everything in the other part of the world, right? taxes and everything else that we don't ever get like we're we're the reason that exists and if we're not supporting each other then we're not the ones that are hurting right it's right. the families that really need it yeah and so i believe we're all serving a very very similar population we're all touching the same families to some degree i can guarantee you that oh yeah i um, access as a child almost every nonprofit of meaning i can even think of from the homeless shelter which is what it was called at the time to the food bank, um, I mean, you name it, the women's shelter, we touched it somehow, some way. And so now I'm like, wow, how do I go back and give to those nonprofits that I know boosted my family up mm. at a time when that was not even possible for us? And it's bring those nonprofits together, you know? I'm, I'm, um, there's, I'm so in love with all the things that you're saying. There's, it's an amazing... So here I am in the community. I'm, I'm new in the community. I'm um, in Utah, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, I really want to get involved in a, an organization that's doing real, real good in our community. Um, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I get involved if in, in the Christmas boxes? Just, just Johnny on the street. I want to get my family involved. What can I do to support? So when you go onto our website, thechristmasbox.org, we have um, every way to give. Because I believe everybody wants to give. They just don't always know like, where their fit is. And for me, we don't, it's important to not fit anybody into a box of here's just how you help us. It's here are four ways you can help, obviously monetarily, 
right? We can take a dollar and create $7 of services based on the resource relationships that we have, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Um, you can volunteer, you can do a service mm -hmm. project. You know, we have weeding and all sorts of fun <laughs> yard projects always going on. Um, you can uh, do one of our donation drives and collect in-kind items off of our wish list that we update every quarter. Or if you really can't and don't have it in you to do any of those things, you can go onto social media and share our message. And I, it's just as valuable yeah. at yeah. this day and age. I'll take any of those four things if one of those can work for you. Because everybody has a way to give and everybody has a certain amount of time to give. And I think you, know, you just kind of have to be creative and for us, it's be very flexible. If somebody calls and says, how can I help? I ask them, how do you want to help mm. first? Is there something that like really matters to you that you know you want to see happen with your family or your church group or your neighbors or whatever you're doing, your partner? Um, and if you have a fit, then I'm, you know, I'm going to fill, fill that need because I want it also be meaningful. I want people to come and say, wow, I had a really cool experience because Celeste or her team took a lot of care to make sure that that was very valuable to me. It's interesting in a nonprofit how we serve um, the, our target, these children, yep. and then we also have to serve the people who would like to serve. And we also, we have like a, as a nonprofit, you're facing in a lot of different directions that you wouldn't anticipate in like a normal business where I have a one yep. end user or a client. Right. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of consideration of people's feelings all the way across yep. the board. When you're doing that, how do you how do you stay balanced in the mission? Like, there's a lot of a lot of people that want to go in these different directions. Are even excited, and and um, they have the resources and the money to do that. How do you stay on goal? Me personally. Well, as a director, I would imagine that because <laughs> you're also not off at five o'clock. Don't forget to have that. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You're never off. <laughs> which is not for everyone. Which is important to recognize when people are like, I think I want to start a nonprofit. I'm like, we should probably talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> best, best worst idea you'll ever have. I want to go into leadership. We should probably talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, I want to be a foster parent. Same thing. We should talk about that. There's there's the what you don't know. Yeah. Because once you're in it, like for me, I'm in it. Like I said, it's it's my legacy. This is what I'll do until I'm not doing it anymore. That's what but you're made to it's do. It's not until I'm like, well, I wonder what my next thing is. This, this is it for this me. This is your thing. So I think... Um, you know, your personal connection, kind of like you with your charity, that that story, that reminder has to connect you all the time to your why. Because this is hard. It's very hard. It's harder than people even can imagine it is because you're constantly taxed. Your mind, your time, your system, your, you know, you just, you just constantly have something going on and you have to find first your, your why. why. Why do you do it at all? I mean, why does it even matter to you? Sure. Someone, what if somebody else came in and did it? And I'm like, well, for me, I can guarantee you, next to Richard Paul Evans, that's maybe put in more money than me, no one's going to care about it nearly as much mm. as me. I, w I would fight that battle all day long. I'm really confident <clears throat> of that. And when I see, it's also hard because I see, you know, we don't interact. My team doesn't interact with the kids every day, but we see them every day. They come to our side, you know, of the building. We have the shelter side, and then we have the administrative side. Um, and I'm usually like pretty, pretty on point, pretty focused. And then there's like a seven, eight or nine year old that's in that very prime age. And I know every time I'm like, Hey buddy, you about eight years old. Yep. I mean, I, I'm spot. I'm hundred percent on that. And I, um, I mean, it is like, I just turned 50. Right. And it's like, I go right back to their age in a split second. So for me, the hardest part is 
I'm there again and I instantly kind of want to feel bad and then and then I have this immediate oh my gosh you know what they just need to be reminded that this is a blip in their life like if I get a chance to talk to them I'm like oh man buddy this is so hard right now right like it pretty much sucks let's just have that conversation but I promise you it will get better and the people that are here um, love you you're in the right place they want you to be okay I was there I'm okay, as far as he knows. <laughs> you know, it's there's a there's just kind of this constant this constant trick of the mind where you're like, oh, I'm in this place, but all right, I need to realign. And the whole conversation that people always have around, like, do you have enough balance? I'm like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Like, it's like it's a fifty-fifty. You know, there's a percentage. Okay, I'd give a little bit to give fifty percent to home and give a. To me, balance comes on a day-to-day basis. It's not, it's not a long-term strategy in any way. Or you're just kind of, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. It's every day, you know, for me, I have a very specific drill in the morning, the way, I, the way I'm very routine, because it helps me get in my head. I mean, there's people like, I can't believe you get up at 5 a.m. And I'm like, well, I also raised three children. Um, and I knew they were up at 7. And I'm like, I have two hours of my whole day and I'm taking it. Let's talk about that, can we, for a second? Yeah. I'm a huge win the morning, win the day. Yeah, what what are you doing for those two hours? Because I believe that success is built on those two hours, in in my opinion. The whole day is built around those two hours. So you get up at 5 o'clock, what happens? I'm very grounded. Before I even be, or in order to be very grounded, I should say, because we all have our days. Um, I have a gratitude moment the moment I open my eyes. And some days it's as simple as, I didn't wake up with a headache today. Yep. Win. Win. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. Like, it's like, it doesn't really, the point of what you're gra- grateful for is so doesn't, irrelevant. Yeah. It's that you put yourself into the mindset of gratitude immediately. I already start stretching before I get out of bed. It's not what I do next. It's just like, there's got to be a flow. So by the time I'm standing, it's, you know, I'm in stretch or yoga or whatever mode you want to call it. Make my bed. It's my gift to myself mm. every single day. Slam down eight ounces of water because I'm probably dehydrated. <laughs> go get my first cup of coffee that's a reward and then I meditate what does meditation look like I have these little readings that I do but really it's about me getting into um, nature is very important to me I love to kayak Um, obviously I can't jump in the water and kayak every day I don't live that close to the water Um, but I can sit outside and look at the mountains for sure or if I'm traveling there's somewhere I can look outside and my ability to connect that way with nature read the reading that I'm going to read that day and just kind of fall into this place of universe. I'm super, super grateful for what I have today. It's hard. Um, I have also have some health issues. So sometimes I just don't wake up feeling well. So I have to remind myself that there's a lot that I am grateful for. And some days it's my kids. Like I said, some days it's, I don't have a headache, whatever it is. My arthritis isn't as bad today. You know, whatever it is. The point is I have to put myself in that place of, wow, this is a gift. And whatever it takes me to get into that place that it's a gift before I launch into everybody else gets my time has to happen. Hmm. If I don't, if I don't have that, the whole trajectory of my day is so uniquely different. Yeah. Because, you know, the moment the moment that hits, you're on. So, I mean, I, I do have parameters. I work 7 to 7. Some might find that excessive. But I start checking emails at 7 a.m. And I stop checking emails at 7 p.m. It's just 
I, I just do that. I don't turn on the news until I'm up for two hours in the morning. Like there's just very specific things that I have designed to not scatter out my brain because I don't already know where my, my fight or flight modes are gonna come. You know, mm. the theory is I believe that every time you check an email, you have 30 to 45 seconds of the fight or flight mode. Hmm. How many emails do you get in a day? I don't Hundreds. know. Yeah. That's right. So every time you open that, every time you click that, every time you check your social media, every time you do anything There's like a crisis. Your brain takes 30 to 45 seconds to calm it back down. So I think you have to give it boundaries to say. And, you know, there's, there's another thing. I, I, I believe every hour is extremely critical. So I try to work for 52 minutes and then I pause for 17. Mm, what do you do for your 17 Sec- minutes? I breathe. You just breathe. I, I Some just Wim Hof style breathing. Just the deepest. And then you got to blow it out. You got to get it out of there. And so for 17 minutes. I just calm down and breathe. You turn your, all your devices off. And sometimes off. I just walk, you know, I'm just walking around my office. I have a great view um, of, of the nature again outside. So sometimes I go walk out in it if it's, you know, the weather's permitting. Um, go to the gym four days a week. That has to happen. So I'm in the office at eight. I leave at four. Like I'm leaving at four. I'm still going to check my email, but I'm leaving. I'm going straight to that gym and I'm going to blow something out and then I'm going to, I'll be back on. But it's like, we schedule all the meetings, all the stuff, right? Like we, we schedule everything in our calendars, except what do we schedule last? Ourselves. Anything we need. Yeah. Because it's so irrelevant. It's so like, oh, you know what? I'll do that tomorrow. I'll get an extra workout today. It's like, no, you won't. Because everyone will take whatever they need from you. I can promise you that. And leave you. You won't. You have to take what you need from you. And you have to feel that beautiful selfishness that people tell you you're not supposed to be selfish hmm. for. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Because the better I am, the better you get of me. Yeah, Like, sure. it's just, you know what I mean? How that works. And so, healthy relationships, those matter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I love that you're taking time to fill your cup before you go and... And you know what, I remember the days else. when I didn't do it, so I won't go back to it. Yeah. You know, it's well, not imagine. like I was just born that way. I mean, I really had to learn in corporate world. When I was in corporate world for 14 years, they will take, take, take from you. So I was prepared to come back into nonprofit because I had a pause of when I, I started and helped launch Christmas Box for nine years. I left and went into corporate world for 14, recognizing that I needed leadership and marketing. I needed some skill sets that I, I wasn't going to get from nonprofit but I knew I'd be back one day. Hmm. And um, 14 years later, which was three years ago, I came back as executive director and I feel much more prepared than I would have if I had kind of grandfathered into the role over time. I feel like I learned a a lot of hard lessons in the corporate environment because it's very, it's very take mind oriented. The opposite, right, is that in nonprofit, it's very compassionate oriented, but the pressure is uniquely different. Oh yeah. So it's, it's kind of an, an, an odd contrast, I think. You know, it's a take, take, take model in corporate. Then you move to nonprofit and you've got all this love and compassion and people, but you're also the one providing it right. when, when you're the executive director in right. your role. Like you're and the you, one that has to push it. Even with all that love and gratitude and kindness, stuff still needs to get done. That's right. And I, now I'm motivating people who are non-paid or paid very little. That's right. Um, and so motivation leadership it come really really yeah. it's a different yeah. level of just like we'll do it because yeah. i said so because that's what we hired you for you can't do that anymore no that model does not work i mean corporate world's finding that doesn't work either right right <laughs> especially through covid people are like oh yeah let's work from home yeah see ya <laughs> let me know how that feels <laughs> well let me ask you this um 
the more the more you talk, the more I need to know. Yeah, I, I'm, I just I'm running away with no, this. Go I, ahead, go ahead. Um, if you could recommend a book um, that's been very instrumental in your life, something that you read once a year, twice a year, or something that you're, is one of your staples, what would that book be? The Universe Has Your Back. The Universe Has Your Back. Hands down. Oh, man, I'm getting I won't even pause. That was no hesitation. And when you're done reading it, you'll go back and start reading it again. That book um, was the second book I read. It was only, it, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was more impactful than the first one, which the first one is um, What Happened to You. Those two books um, I have read during the process of writing my book. What Happened to You was recommended to me. It's, a, it's an Oprah Winfrey um, book that's co-written with a doctor. And that doctor took his knowledge, which is now being put into uh, tr- what's called trauma-informed care uh, with, with children and families. Um, this doctor, I mean, he, this psychiatrist has been around for so long, he, I don't remember all the, the, the Waco craziness, but he was the one that was pulled in with his team to take care of those children when they were pulled out of that combine. And he has the most remarkable stories of personal experiences that he's put into this book. And what he has done is he's changed the narrative of the way we ask the question that's really critical. And it's that don't ask somebody what has happened to you, or I'm sorry, what's wrong with you, ever. Right? It's it's a defensive question. Sure. What's wrong with you? Well, nothing. What do you mean what's what's wrong? Right? You do that. You ask them what has happened to you. What has happened Please to you? Please share your story. What has happened to you? And this book is based on that model, which again is is being put into practice. Mm. We call it trauma informed therapy, mm. and it's changing that narrative so that the moment you understand who you are better and why you make the decisions you make, you make effective changes in your life mm. and better decisions. Yeah, but you have to know why do I even do that in the first place? Right, right. It's not because something's wrong with me. It's because something is. A story's happened to me, yeah. and I've been impacted by it. And then you followed up with my very favorite book, which is The Universe Has Your Back. And that is, if you, I don't care who your, who your God or whatever is, for me, there's, can you believe that there's something so much bigger than you? Do you trust that? Do you believe whatever that deity is to you? And believe that that universe truly has your back. And how do you engage with that? How, hmm. do, you, how do you believe it? There's meditation strategies in that book. Hmm. Highly effective. Highly effective. Nothing has changed my life more in this past year those by good. far than yeah that book. Thank you for sharing hmm. that. You're welcome. Yeah, those are two must-reads. You're I'm, welcome because you're going to love it, Rob. <laughs> I know you're going to love the universe has your back. Probably, yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Audible while you're driving. That's my thing because reading makes me tired. But yeah. I just finished my book today. So when you said that, I'm like, oh, hey. We're going to start a new one. And I usually have two or three going at the same time because my mind just does that. Me too. Same. (laughs) Same, same. But I've got one spot open. So I'm excited. The universe has your back and what happened to you. I'm going to check them out. Um, When you are looking... um, back now you can see the progress that you've made and it's probably it's unbelievable to think that it's been happening now for the book is 30 years old you know and this idea um with the three shelters these children being helped um and being kept together looking back you can see some progress along the way um where do you see christmas box being in the next five years is five years two maybe three years is the the best question Three years, I see us helping every caseworker in the state through our resource rooms, by far. And then again, what that will, because growing up, I just thought that everybody um, 
dismissed me and I didn't have a voice. And it was easy to blame a system that just, because it failed me on every aspect. Sure. Being removed from my parents, even as dysfunctional as they were, didn't give me a better life. Mm, okay. It was, it was not. It put you into a different it, set of problems. It put me into a tremendous amount of danger. And um, so it'd be easy for me to feel super bitter about that. Mm. And instead, I embrace the fact that I truly believe it isn't at all any of the people that were in it. They're, they're put into a system that's extremely complicated. Hmm. Child welfare is very complicated. A lot of red tape, a lot of things you can't do. And um, so my, my thought has been that I always help the partners that obviously struggled doing a good job for me. The more I can help them, the better they can help children. Hmm. Because I get asked, why aren't you a foster parent? And even though it's awesome, and I think those that are really great foster parents, bless their heart, that's awesome. We'll never have enough of those, for one. Um, that's, that's not the answer. It has to be that I'm, I, I'm not going to help one or two kiddos that come into my home at a time. I'm going to help 14,000 children a year, which is what we do. Hmm. I'm going to make the biggest impact as much as I can, as quick as I can. It's like asking you, why don't you just feed your neighbor and be perfectly fine, right, Rob? Right. So I'm going to feed as many people that I can feed that need my help. That's how you're we're going to do I it. I mean, why aren't you going to go big? You're not put here to be small, Rob. No, I you am know? not. I mean, nobody, nobody, nobody is. is. Everybody finds their, their story and where their impact is and then go big. Like, why not? Small is small, small. Yeah. I don't want to go, I don't want to go small. Yeah, let's see where this goes. <laughs> Or not, or not. Let's see where it goes, though. Yeah, and that's part of trusting the universe is knowing that it, it's, you know, every, you want to always have a good plan in place. I always tell my team, the plan's in place. All you have to do is execute it. Hmm. You don't have to make any changes to it. We all, right? We've all signed off on this is the fact that it's a good plan, so we have to trust that. Yeah. And we're going to execute it, and we're going to trust that the universe is there guiding us. This is the right thing to do. We, we have to feel good about that. Yeah. We can't predetermine, doesn't mean you don't have goals, but you can't predetermine what all the wins look like so that if you don't hit every single one of those, you don't, you're not successful. That's not true. I mean, my son every day is like, of course we're celebrating that mom. <laughs> He's 28. He's like, of course we're celebrating that. Of course. <laughs> that's what we do. And yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what we do. Every day there's actually something to celebrate. Uh, one of my favorite mantras that I uh, say daily is that the universe is conspiring for my good. That's right. And I, the reason I like the word conspire is because oftentimes I don't know what that is. I don't know what the it good seems like is. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. And sometimes things show up the way That's that they right. do. I have my plans and they're great plans. That's right. But the universe is conspiring for my best good regardless of my plans. Absolutely. And I trust that. I believe in that. And um, surrendering, I guess, is the word that I use That's to. What the, the universe has your back will teach you to surrender if you don't know how to do that yep that's exactly what that's exactly the word that is that's exactly what's taught you in the book i love that and that's been a mantra of mine that i've used for about 10 years and the more i believe it the happier i become because i know that even if this didn't work out the way that i had planned it worked out the way that it was supposed to and it's not it's not a throwing all caution to the wind and not having a plan I, I, i think there's a little bit that can be you know yeah misconstrued about that you have the plan, you execute the plans, you have your budget, you do all the things you're supposed to do, but you know in your heart that if you're fully surrendered, so it's not, surrendering isn't, I'm working on surrendering. It's like, oh no, I'm, I'm surrendered. I mean, I drive around thinking, I'm going where I'm gonna go. 
But if something tells me I'm supposed to go somewhere else, I'm absolutely going to do it. Yeah. With I think that hits the nail right on the head. Surrendering is just kind of a twofold type of thing. You still have to show up. You still That's have right. to be there. That's okay. Right. And then be open to what the universe is going to put right. in your path. The plan, you can plan as much as you want, yep. but you still, you got to show up That's and right. then let's see what comes to you and then That's right. move it's, through it's it. It's not sitting in your living room in front of your TV and like, hey, what do you want me to do, universe? Yeah. No, no, no. No, you're working you like hell. You have to take action. You have to show up, absolutely, every single day, even when you're tired. Although, my team always has permission. I'm very, <clears throat> I encourage it very much um, to always take a mental health day. It's kind of a little, it started as a little joke, but it's. If you, if you text me as your, as your person in charge and you say, I need a mental health day today, I don't even ask you why. It's so irrelevant. Hmm. But I have to do the same thing so they know, right, I'm following what I'm trying to teach. Hmm. If you need a mental health day for whatever reason that is, you take it. Anything we have going, anything's, anything is going to follow and wait after that. We have to take care of your people. Something that I like about what you do, and I, I believe in mental health days too, but the thing that you're doing is you're taking a mental health 17 minutes. Yes. You're doing your mental health day yep. all the time. Yep. I'm checking in right now. I'm going to ground. I'm going to center. I'm going to yep. go back to my intention for the day. Yep. And I'm going to spend some time with that. I really love that. I, I'm going to I'm gonna set an alarm. That's what I do, yeah. And so when it goes off, okay, it's time to That's right. because, go play with my daughter um, or whatever I'm going to do. There's a, I didn't make that up. There's... There's a Fit CEO book that uh, that I read that trains you how to do that. If, if you're, I used to travel a lot in the corporate world, and it, it it's a very s small book that just helps you like overall holistically and everything you do stay fit in a very busy lifestyle. And it was quick, one-offs like that that allowed you to kind of make these improvements. And she had worked with a doctor, and it was proven that your mind, if you stop every 52 minutes. Your mind will your mind will execute better hmm. if you take the next seventeen off, and she's extremely highly successful. So, yeah. must must work. Oh, look! Since I gave up, you didn't give up. No, I'm never. Just gonna go for another pen. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, so that's what's gonna happen with, or that's the goal or the vision for the Christmas box in the next three years. That's right. Um, as you are traveling this road, you've been doing it now for a minute. Um, what are some of the restraints that you are facing in the community that perhaps you were surprised that you would, you would face? Um, well, our name, cause you brought that up. Our, our name has, uh, can, can hinder us because people think of us as a holiday charity. Right. They think of us as a campaign, like a toys for tots or a Thanksgiving heroes. A, yeah. A holiday based <laughs> But even then, you realize, right, we talked about that with your name. You, you have to get funding year-round yeah. in order to make that happen. Yep. So the, the name can make people feel like, oh, that only happens on Thanksgiving. Oh, so that your charity happens during Christmas. Because we've had people ask us, well, what do you do the rest of the year? Right. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I've had to take advantage of the things that you could take advantage of, like public service announcements. You know, I went into a studio, I recorded three uh, in PR world, it's called Evergreen. They're timeless, right? There's no date on them. Um, three pieces for three campaigns a year, spring, summer, and holiday. Mm -hmm. And I have radio stations run those for every one of those campaigns. So we're always in the minds of, 
you know, of people, I'm, I'm always getting text messages and calls. I heard you on the radio. I'm like, well, it was a, you really didn't hear me yeah. on a commercial, but I'll take it. Yeah. Um, we find hidden opportunities. Our, our founder found, you know, this wonderful donation center that the, the biggest value is the fact that it has a billboard. It's not really a billboard. It's a sign. It's a sign that happens to be for that building. We wouldn't be able to afford $10,000 a month for a billboard. Yeah. 1500 however we can. And millions of views because it's double-sided right. on that. And as long as we have that it's a donation center at the bottom of the billboard. Hmm. And I change it to match those campaigns because there's a repetitive. So I'm a marketer by nature. So I can go on and on about this. But there's a repetitive you know, nature that people have to see things over again. They have to hear things over again. Like you have to constantly pound it. They have to hear them six or seven times. And they're like, oh. It's like when people say, I ask, where did you hear about us? They usually say Google. I don't know if that's true or not. They could have seen this on the billboard, right? They could have seen this somewhere else. But the point is, in their brain, that's what they did. And I wouldn't discount that. Your social, your, your search presence has to be really right. good as yeah. well. I mean, yep. there's, there's kind of a marketing checklist that has to happen. And for me to go, go into corporate, it was important for me to bring that mindset back. I think there's a huge um, disconnect in the nonprofit world that there's certain things you're not supposed to spend money on. So for me... I think to better answer your question, it's me educating the community on the effective ways I can spend the money. Hmm. Okay. You know, there's restricted funds by nature that you'll get and someone will want you to do that with it. Absolutely, you're going to do that. But then there's the more flexible, general, you can put this where you need it. You have to put in marketing dollars and advertising. You have to do it. No other business, especially in the sales world, is going to question what, how you acquire your acquisition dollars to get a customer. But in nonprofit, there's always been this, well, how much goes to programs? Well, I am my program. Yeah. If, if I can't It's build, all programs. Yeah, right. Right. If I, I'm, I don't provide a direct service to children. My, I am the program. My team is the program. And if we can't constantly have more coming in, we can't constantly put more going out. You have to be telling the story all the time. All the time. It's, you don't shut down with that. It's okay. What are we talking about this month? Yeah. What are we talking about on social media? And it's hard, to your point earlier. Like, you can burn out. You're, you're tired. Mm. Um, and if you're the most passionate about your cause, if you're the spokesperson in it, you can also tend to struggle delegating because you know you know your message the best. Mm -hmm. um, so when I came back as executive director, I decided I'm not hiring a director of development. It was a pretty big move. I'm like, I'm not hiring a fundraiser because I'm going to teach my team that they're all a fundraiser. Everybody is. Every single person on the team should be able to say to you what it is we do and answer questions and not say I have to call, have someone call you back. Hmm. Right. That's, you're going to lose people because guaranteed, I can't tell you how many people <laughs> will, will email or tell me or, or tell me on the phone, man, you really call me back fast. I can't believe you call me back so fast. I'm like, why would I not call you back so fast? Like you called me. And it's because they call so many nonprofits and they don't hear back from them. Mm. And that just, that's pretty mind blowing to me. But I, I think it's because they get understaffed and they think, oh, here's the list of things we're gonna do later. And getting back to people happens to be one of those things. You're chasing the dollars. Yeah. So I'm like, you guys can let a lot of other things go, but you cannot let responding to somebody go. They get responded to as fast as possible and they get thanked for their donation no less than 24 hours mm. period those are two rules we don't break those rules i mean i'm super look at my face i'm super out yeah. <laughs> like you can tell because everything else is not going to matter 
if people aren't being properly thanked, if they're not being told the impact that they make because your perfection is equaling paralysis because you can't delegate, it's your fault. I'm sorry, but at that point, like, it's your fault because you, you know what I mean? You can't, you got to create your top two with your team that are your critical deal breakers. You yeah. can't have 27. Non-negotiables. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be these top two and it ha gratitude has to be in it for your for your constituents. Everything else that. is going to follow fall into place. Okay. Or not, because the universe has your back, Rob. Yeah, either way. <laughs> and I'm serious about that. I know, I know you are. I'm, I'm imagining now um, a 15,000 square foot space with 33 children running around at different ages, up to how old? 18, the whole child, from zero to 18. So zero to 18, you yeah. have this great space. And we space. usually, by the way, we can hold 33, but we usually cap out around 18 to 22. Okay. Which is still a lot of kids in like one space. And 15,000 is both buildings. So the shelter side, the residential floors, that area, that building's about 7,000. And that includes storage rooms, laundry. So, I mean, you start shrinking down, you know, the floor, the yeah. residential floor, we call it. Um, and then the bedrooms are surrounding that. You've got a very small space. So it also speaks to the other thing we do, which is take care of the staff that take care of the children. Because That's where I was headed with this. The turnover's high it's a hard job people always say to me and my team oh my gosh thank you for what you do and i'm like really because we don't do the hard job yeah our we only exist to ask them how we can help them do their job better it i i remember when my team gets burned out i was or they're questioning like how much do we give or how much should we give i'm like everything the only reason we're a 501c3 is to help them do their job better period whatever that needs to look like you give it up yeah more will come because they're the ones, you know, as a foster child, I can tell you that everything that happens to us, we're totally dishing out for sure. They're getting hit, spit on, names called. I mean, it's hard. It, it's not, you know, Rosie, the Christmas box house yeah. every single day. The kids are, they have tough stuff going on and it's those staff that really see it. the brunt of it. So it's like we reach out to Starbucks or another company. We're like, how many $5 gift cards can we get? Here's a stack. Perfect. Hand that out like confetti. I'm like, go have a cup of coffee. Yeah. Thanks for sorting those donations. Here's $5. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. the smallest little things. Gratitude. We, because they, they really have the hardest job. I mean, man, they're, bless their hearts. It's, it's a lot. How many people do you, would you say are on the floor when you're at that 22, 25 capacity? So uh, there's a six to one ratio that licensing requires for, for children and in uh, what's called congruent care, which is residential care for kids. So always, so no matter how many children are six to one, is just they so have, the have to have So the turnover is re really high, right? Quite you, you high. You've got 20 yeah. people at a time. You're saying you get 15,000 out. What's the average uh, time that a child spends with you? Two weeks to a month. Two weeks to a month. Not because there's a timestamp. It's just, that's just kind of the average. And, um, you know, we've seen post, this post-COVID thing is like, all of a sudden we went from like, an average of eight to 12 kids to an average of 18 to 22 kids. Mm. We went from an average of two to, four, uh, two to 14 days to an average of you know 30 to 45 days can be a long stay now. For whatever reason, we see harder to place children longer. Mm. Um, and I don't know what kind of trickle effect there is. You know, during COVID, it was interesting, or we still have COVID, so I should say during quarantine, we had, um, really low numbers like six or eight kids on the floor and normally we'd be like yeah we're gonna go out of business that would this would be okay truthfully 
um, well, there were no reporting sources, you know, for child abuse because teachers weren't seeing them. Clergymen, right? Sports coaches, you know, you name it. Whoever normally would see a child outside of the home wasn't seeing a child outside mm. of the home, so there just it wasn't being reported. So then restrictions lift, and all of a sudden the houses are just packed. We're like, okay, now we see what's going on. Unfortunately, child abuse wasn't less. It was just they weren't, you know, it wasn't being reported. It wasn't as visible. Um, it was not as visible. That's right. Wow. <laughs> so two weeks to a, a month is is average. Um, we certainly see. Unfortunately, we saw a kiddo. Um, you know, every once in a while, there's a kid. There's a kiddo that gets caught in a system where there's aren't. That's why I say it's so complicated. There aren't the right resources. We had an autistic boy at our Ogden shelter. Stayed with us for months. That had never happened before. Um, while he was comfortable, well taken care of, it's a great place to be. It was really hard to watch because he was seeing children come in and out of the shelter and go to homes. Mm. It was in. That awesome benefit ended up turning into a constant reminder of what why we talked me? about earlier. Why not yeah, me? Why, why not me? Why do I not get home? And it's because there weren't the right resources to put him into a certain group home for his needs. And there wasn't a family that could take him with his needs. That understood what that meant. So he had a longer term. Um, and, it, you know, it ended up working out for him because he had, a, he had a family member that was eventually able to really take him and help him, which is the best option. But it just took a while for that family to work out what they needed to work out in order to do that. Wow. But it was, that's a, you know, that's the opposite of what we want to see, but it does, it can happen. Also, if a child has a disruption in, the, in a placement, always, always able to come back. Um, so it's not like, oh, you've already had a visit. Yeah. Because if a child's removed and taken into state custody, they can always come into the Christmas box house. Hmm. That's what it's designed it's for. It's not like, you've been here before, you're not eligible for this. Yeah. Hmm. For this love and this, this love. treatment. Yeah. Sorry, We're buddy. so sorry. No, no, not an option. So if I'm looking around and I see um, you have 22 resource rooms, you're in 14 of the 29 counties. Is that accurate? That's right. Um, and you're growing this. How do you manage the volume of inventory, getting it delivered, making sure that everything is everywhere it needs to be? Like, how is that happening? It's a lot, for sure. I'm not going to lie. It is. It, it's I'm, I'm astounded. <laughs> Just, I'm an operations-minded man, and I think about this. So we have, uh, we have, we have places. You know, we have the three locations, and then we do have some of the. Not all 22 can take the donations, but many of them can because the benefit of having the resource centers in uh, human services DCFS offices is that one, I don't have to staff those. Oh, that's good. That'd be critically different. If right. I had to staff the resource rooms, this Cost conversation would be a little, yeah. slightly different. Yeah. Um, my team still has to resource to them. So once a month, we check all the resource rooms, we divvy up. We um, do have some volunteers that can help us do that. Um, and they take an inventory for you? And then basically what happens is um, when a caseworker goes in and takes items they need for a child, we have papers there. Oh. They fill out, I took these items, it helped this many children because we have to track mm -hmm. our numbers. Mm -hmm. um, they leave them and then when we go pick up once a month, you have kind of a file. Yep, we take we take the numbers, we refill those, we, we kind of look at, and every resource room is different. Some of them call, they're great about calling us and saying, hey, we're low on a size three t-shirt, great. Some of them aren't, so we don't know till we get there, and then we have to you know write it all down and then go back. It, it definitely is, I, have, I, call, I call them the amazing six. It, I have an amazing team. 
so, so committed, but they also know I'm very committed to them. I don't ask them to do anything I'm not willing to do, first of all, which I think is pretty important. Um, and also, you know, I, I pay them competitively for a nonprofit world. I don't obviously pay them competitively compared to a corporate world. Um, but I have, we have great, we have great benefits. We have great PTO. We have great holiday pay. We have, you know what I mean? Like we, I bring all the corporate benefits certainly in, um, you know, I can comp day being in charge means you can comp, I can comp any day I want. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, it looks like, you know, you worked two nights this week or you're going to go collect donations this Saturday, pick a day next week, take it off. I would imagine dealing with the yeah. emotional toll that, yeah. that you guys have every, on a day-in, day-out basis is exhausting, yep. both for, for you yep. and managing the staff. Yeah, so, like, you know, if, if some of my staff are seeing a, a kiddo crying or we're listening to a visit with a parent and there's a lot of tears, it, it's, it's hard for my team. I mean, it's sad. It's very sad, um, especially when it's time for parents or grandparents to leave and child still has to stay as awesome as the Christmas box house is. It's not their family. They want to go home. Yeah. And there's lots of tears and I'll, you know, I have to be very aware of my team's emotions. Um, I do have a coach that has come in and trained the team. Again, it's a corporate thing I brought in. You know, it's a, a we do mood checks before our meetings. Um, there's a chart. Everybody, you don't ask why someone's in the mood. That's not the point. The point is I'm bringing this into the room and we have to be very aware that that's how uniquely different the table is at that time. All six of us are coming into this environment in a different mood with a different mindset. And it's just, oh, I just heard, Rob, that you told me you're anxious. Okay, I'm sensitive to that. I, I write all that down in my notes so that as I'm interacting with my team one-on-one, -on -one, I, I can recall quickly that's how they were this morning. Um, you know, does, and I can ask in our one-on-ones, in our -on does overwhelm mean it's work? Is there something I can do to support you? Um, and if, you know, if that's the case, then I need to know. What can I take off your plate? Again, it's more for me, but that's what I signed up for. That's all yeah. I didn't know. Right. You know what I mean? But mm. it's important for me if they're emotional, if they're feeling those moments. I'm sorry, this is hard for you. Why don't you go take a walk? Well, I'm working on that. You know what? It's probably still going to be here when you get back. Pretty yeah. sure. Mm. Pretty sure that task is still going to be here. It's not going to walk out the door or anything. Mm. Go for a walk. You know, Tammy. I have an emotional gal that works for me, and she it's hard for her. I'm like, go for a walk. Do whatever you need to do. You have a son that's seven, and you're relating to this right now, and you don't need to sit here and listen to it. Yeah. Go mm. for a walk. I can't actually even fathom that, that, yeah. that just my character in, in general, like I would not be the right guy for this because I would have to save yeah. everybody you're that like, walked I'm through there. I'm walking their... a lot. <laughs> 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 How many walks a day are we allowed? Uh, 17 minutes every hour. 17 minutes every hour. <laughs> And I'd have 14 of them at my house, and it that is, would be tough. It is the hardest part when every once in a while when I'm like, oh, can, just for a night? Maybe I should just take them for a night. You know what I mean? You really have to, you have to disconnect, not from a jaded standpoint. You don't ever want to, you know, I always tell the team when they're upset, I'm like, the benefit of this right here is you still care. Yeah, you're still connected. If you weren't upset about this, I'd be concerned. Yeah. Because mm. this probably wouldn't be the work for you. Sure. Um, so the fact that you have tears, the fact that you're feeling it, you know, I have to be able to connect to that with them. And I think because I when I was in it, and they all are obviously very aware of that, they know that I'm feeling that empathy from them. Um, and as their leader, I think I think that's really important, for sure. 
Well, <clears throat> one of the things that we um, ask here at the American Masterminds is kind of a, a question, um, and it's this is a difficult question to ask you because of uh, you're not a typical organization that we've talked to. But uh, the question is, if you go back and speak to your younger self, you could go back and give that person a little bit of advice. Um, now that you're at this um, mature experience in your in your place, what advice would you be giving that person? My younger self. Your younger self. Let's say it's that 26-year-old that just got adopted. Be kinder to yourself. Mm. Be more forgiving. Have more grace. Mm. Patience with yourself. Grace. Yeah, I think um, I think grace just isn't given enough because even everything we've talked about, you know, my morning routine and all the great plans and all that. Whoa, she's so well put together. No, I mean, you know, some days those just don't work out all day long, every 52 minutes. Probably not. It doesn't work that well all the time. Yeah. It works a lot and I'm pretty good about it, but I don't think, oh my God. Oh, and I didn't, and I really didn't get to the gym for it this week. And I didn't like, I could have the whole list of all the things I didn't do. I just don't think that way. I think I'm super confident today. I did the very best that I can Yeah. with how I felt, <clears throat> what I knew, what was thrown into my lap. Um, I have to just drive home feeling like I, I have the most confidence. I did the very best I could today and tomorrow I'll do the very best I can. And it'll look a little different than today. Hmm. I, I like that. I just have, a, have to have a lot of grace with that. And I would have taught myself to do it sooner. I was climbing the corporate ladder for me. I was very aggressive about it and I was very competitive and I was extremely hard on myself and my teams and the people around me that I worked this hard. You worked this hard. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a pretty intense mentality about it and I was like, you know, I don't think this is going to sustain me through my whole career. If I want a team of love, if I want compassion, hmm. Um, and I think it's because in the corporate world, you're, you're almost trained. Nobody says it out loud, but you, there's this, there's this training that the more, you know, emotional, especially as a female in a corporate male world, it's different in nonprofit. It's female dominated more, but in that environment, you know, you're considered extremely weak to have those. Oh, is she, she's not crying. Is she, oh, of course she has to go home to her kids. Like there's just this. It's a tough environment that way. You're very competitive to find a, a seat at the table, metaphorically, right? Um, and literally, and so you're considered very weak. And I had to really push through. Okay, you know what? This isn't going to work. I think I better start a women in leadership program in corporate, which hmm. is what I did. I think I need to help young women learn faster. What took me a really long time to learn um, because I was dominated by this this overachieving environment of like more is better yeah so and it's not so on that front if you were to give one piece of advice with all this background that you have in the corporate world because it's two completely different yeah, it is. ideologies yeah. going on there if you were to give one piece of advice to a young let's say a young girl that is thinking about getting into business and whatnot what would that advice be it would still be have more grace with yourself but i think it would also be you deserve to be here mm. you deserve as much as anybody else in this room to sit here yeah and the reason I, this, this happened is um, literally at this particular company I worked for, we had an extremely large boardroom. I mean, probably around the table with the, with the all-male executive team of 12, there were probably 20, 22 seats, right? Very large table. And then the whole parameter of the room was surrounded by chairs. 
And every time a meeting would start, and this was over the course of, I probably observed for about six months, I was there 10 years, um, and I was newer at the time. Men would come in, sit down at the table, it was no big deal, right? They start talking about golf or sports or whatever, tech, whatever was interesting to them. They, they, were, they seemed super confident. They were just like on it. Women would come in, they'd look around the room, they'd go sit to the side chair, all of a sudden you'd see them pull back. Nobody asked them to do that. They just did it. Hmm. They just felt like they didn't have a seat at the table. So I watched it, I noted how many times it happened Every single meeting, I just had like my conference side notebook, ha ha ha. <laughs> and um, it was astounding. And I'm like, you know what? This isn't just about, whole other conversation, but this isn't just about men not letting them in. It was about them not letting themselves in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that really has to be addressed with women and the fact that they don't feel worthy to sit at that table with those men. It's mm -hmm. not all their fault. No. There's, there's things that, have, that they've, contributed to that but it's but they're not helping themselves and then in addition to that you have you have right women that are feeling this way so what happens they're so competitive with each other they're like bringing each, each other, other down, down yeah. and they're like I'll, I'll i'll override you to get that promotion any day they're mean they're very vicious mm. and i was like this is this is a recipe for disaster right. i can see this super clearly what's happening right now and so right. we launched a, i asked our ceo was phenomenal if I could launch a women in leadership program and what that would look like hmm. to help them gain confidence and more visibility to help them feel like one, they had a right to sit there. Right. Like it had to start from them first. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of the program, of course, was how do we help our male leaders see them more? So it had to, it had to happen on, on both sides, but I would tell them be kinder to yourself and know that you have, you deserve to be sitting here. Yeah. Your skill is just as valuable if, because you have a different perspective. Yeah. Right. as well. Right? Absolutely. So. Well, the, um, as a dad of four daughters, I'm all about um, they are worthy. And in fact, they are needed. It's more That's than right. just worthiness. There's a need yeah. for uh, intelligent, powerful um, warrior goddesses in our world. And I'm, uh, I'm all about that. So yeah. I love that message. Um, as we are starting to wrap up now with Christmas Box, what is the biggest need? How can we support you best here at American Masterminds to make sure that we're spreading the message? What is what is needed most? Always send them to the website. Always send them Rob, to the website. Always send them to the website. Which is? Thechristmasbox.org. www. www.thechristmasbox.org. <laughs> Nobody even puts the www. I think it's, it's so irrelevant now. It's, it's like, it's so old school. I'm like, don't write W. It'll say, uh, everyone will know when you started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's old school. It's so old school. Yeah. It's so unnecessary. But um, what's that to, to really answer your question? Um, teen items are always needed the most, no matter the season. And it's because um, kind of like the adoption um, statistic I gave you of kids reaching age four are 50% less, have a less chance of being adopted. Same concept, right? People want to buy for babies. Mm. They're so mm -hmm. cute. And they're so, and they are. I mean, I, I adore my grandson for sure. But it's like, you just kind of have this this thought process that they're more needy and they're cuter to buy for and you know that's me and if there's a girl you could accessorize them and there's just kind of this whole so teens and boys in general are the tend to be the, the most difficult to get items for i think they're just kind of the forgotten so deodorant people underwear Hy socks. hygiene kits all day long anything in, that would go in a hygiene kit because mm. um, remember they're not just it's not just stuff that they're getting at the christmas box house but they're getting it they take it with them when mm. they go to their next placement. Right. And we want them to have all their own stuff. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. 
that's a critical time to have deodorant at that age. You want to have that. <laughs> I also noticed something on the website, though, and I was just wondering if there's anything that you need on, on this front, but it said that the, the Christmas box houses are in need of, of some maintenance and, and upkeep. Is there anything special going on with that? Yes, so uh, thank you for bringing that up. We've all, all the buildings are over 20 years old now, and so we have been in the fix-it houses mode for the last three years since I came back as executive director. Um, and so we're, we're taking each room, and we're, we're very close to completion in terms of um, where we started. Now we're asking corporations to help us sponsor the final rooms because they're, they're a little bit more technical than, hey, can you just show up and throw on some paint? Um, they're very specific rooms with very specific needs, and so we're trying to find corporations that will actually sponsor those options. Like the kitchen? Um, like the bathrooms? Like what are we um, talking about? So like some things it's easy to ask for. Like, uh, and you have to remember everything's commercial grade. These aren't houses. The word house is a little misleading because you think like your house, right? right. Oh, it's so cute to store up some paint. The reality is it's not that way at all. We have um, very specific walls that have material behind them in case they're punched, mm. which means that requires a skill set that has to be certified. Mm. So sometimes, you know, I think it's a little disappointing because someone's like, I could come paint or I can, I can, I've dabbled in electric, electric work. Mm, yeah, probably not. Uh, super cute of you, but yeah. I'm going to need that warranted. And I'm, you know what I mean? So if you have a company that has that backing you know from a construction standpoint that's great because that's exactly what we can use because i would hire it that way as a so you're looking sub. for electrical companies so if it was plumbers yeah, and yeah um, because the kitchen at the salt lake christmas box house for the kiddos completely has to have a redo and mm. it, it's we have to have walls demoed on that space i mean we need to we want to open up we want to open the whole space up and um, and create more room it was designed too small when hmm. we first built it we didn't know um we learned and then ogden ogden got the best um salt lakes you know needs a little little love but it's it's that we need contractors and people that have very strong skill sets in these areas that can warranty their work and you know they, they have experience stuff. because it's you know i just always liken it to paint because i get the most calls for that so i'll ask what's your painting experience you know did you paint your kids room or did you paint, which is awesome, or did you paint, do you have, you know, professional yeah. outside work? Because we have to, we have to have that. I mean, 15,000 square feet is a lot, and it's, um, carpets need to be replaced. We need somebody that can donate new carpet for the whole 15,000 square feet. I mean, obviously, we would take a room at a time, but um, carpet or just um, not, not wood flooring, but the flooring looks like wood, that, yeah. that stuff. Um, we, that snaps in. LVP. That's, that's waterproof. Thank yep. you very much. Mm -hmm. Just exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm here for you, girl. <laughs> we need what Rob said. <laughs> um, you know, we, so we have a list specifically if somebody th thinks it's something they can help with. We have a, we have a very specific list of those needs. Excellent. Yeah. Um, the other question on that, as far as um, who would they reach out to? If I, if I know a, a great you, you're the one. You're the, the green light and the red light you okay excellent well i will send when it comes to construction that's you this girl for right. sure there yeah. you go yeah um as uh again as we're wrapping up what is the one thing if we could share the message if we could share part of the story and i think we've done a great job telling that story what is the one thing perhaps that we've forgotten to talk about that is important to the mission of well let me answer that because we haven't gotten to it yet oh boy oh boy um so you have a new book okay I the, do. the garbage bag girl that's What's right. the big message that you want to convey to people and why they should pick this up? 
I think um, it's great important question. that people. It is a great question. <laughs> I think it's very important that that people that are that are interested in foster care or what happens to kids in child welfare. This this book gives you critical insight into what that life really looks like, and I think kind of like we talked about before on on the. Um, what has happened to you message. I think understanding the why and getting into the mindset of, of how kids feel the way they feel and why they make the decisions they make and how the reason why they're, they're hard to have in your home is very useful, especially if you're considering that. I think if you're a child in care or a teenager, obviously a child wouldn't read the book, I wouldn't ask you not to let them read the book. Um, if you know if you're a teenager in foster care or older, um, I think it's important that you you look at your life and ask yourself that question too. Because I think the garbage bag girl concept isn't just that I put my stuff in a garbage bag; it's the mentality that I ended up taking with me that I'm only worthy of being a garbage bag girl my whole life, clear until. I started feeling different in my mid-30s. It took me a very long time, and then I've spent the last 15 years kind of really getting to that solid place of what, what's my value proposition? What does that look like? Um, and I think the book's valuable for people that are in that position of not understanding what, what that feels like or what that process is like. So hmm. if those are for you... It's probably a good book for you. They're for everybody. <laughs> well, those yeah. principles are for everybody. Absolutely. And the book, the book is available for pre-order right now. It is on my on my website, CelesteEdmonds.com. Yes. www.celesteedmonds.com. Um, it is. There's a pre, there's a pre-order little form that pops up. And do we have That's a? It's pretty groovy. Do we have a release date of when it's coming? No, I was hoping to have it, but um, it is in edit mode, and it's it's uh, that process is really complicated. I had no idea. So if you're questioning if it's hard to write a book, yes. Is it hard to publish a book? Hell yes. <laughs> really? I mean, now you have great tools like Amazon, right? Like some people, you can just put it on Amazon. You can see how it performs on Amazon. If it sells better, it gets a better placement. They'll even drop the price, and there's a lot of cool things with that. Um, I happen to work for an author who is, well, he's our founder. He's our board chair. He's a 43-time New York Times bestselling author. He knows author. his way around. So he kind of knows a few things. So not everybody has that going for him. He's, he is a co-author on the book to help me do that, um, which is awesome. I mean, it's more than I could ever have asked for. Um, so he's helping me make sure that, that that ride is safe for me and I understand what my options are and mm -hmm. what that looks like. And I totally get everybody doesn't do that. But he also teaches that, side note. He has retreats at his ranch outside of Kanab, and he teaches people that are trying to write a book um, what what it looks like to write and what it looks like to publish and people pay to, to go on retreats up there to learn those things because wow. he wants people to learn how to do that. The, you know, it took him a lot of years to learn how to navigate that crazy yeah, system. Sure. And, um, <laughs> you know, Amazon and the digital world wasn't even around when he started, um, which it is today. And so he helps take people through that journey of, you know, what's better for you. It doesn't look the same for everybody. Right. Are you, a, are you a get an agent, get a publisher, person is that the best for your book or you know is, is amazon or is the self-publishing better for you and he helps folks navigate that which is which is pretty cool his retreats are phenomenal mm. yeah. that's cool yeah they're great mm. yeah so there's that do we have writers in the space right now if i'm like we well, have some writers <laughs> he writes every day and pause. Then we'll, 
depends on what you constitute as writing. Cause <laughs> I've, uh, <clears throat> I've been writing in my journal since the sixth grade. So I've got That's a shelf awesome. of nonsense. And so I, I want plenty of material for when they make my movie. So you, always, you always say that. I love that you say yeah. that. It's so good. It's going to be good. I'm working on the soundtrack right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With Stone Temple Pilots. That's right. <laughs> it's so punk rock. As your shirt says. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. Well, thank you very much for your, for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. You guys are awesome grateful for this have you done a podcast before i have you're, you're a natural you've got this well i don't absolutely. know about all that but it's i it, i have like yeah. in terms of you know how put your mouth to the microphone yeah speak up. <laughs> speak up well we're grateful for your time tonight we're grateful to share the story um let me just say community if this is something that you've been thinking about um getting involved there's those four opportunities go to the website check it out there is always a need you are needed and you are important if you can only contribute a little bit it's more than we would have had otherwise and so it's important that you're showing up at that level and i'm going to tell you on a selfish note um knowing celeste as long as i have which isn't that long but i've known you for a minute um, a year a year um she's always speaking from her heart and she's telling the truth and this is an organization that i support strongly and I would recommend that you find an organization. If it's not the Christmas box, find something. Get involved and roll up your sleeves. The, the thing that I'm taking away from this interview that's important to me is to live an intentional life. Um, make sure that you're kind and you take care of yourself. But get involved. Pick something that you're passionate about and get involved because that is creating a legacy. <laughs> and as we grow older, that becomes very much more important. So find something yep. that you love and go for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Celeste. Rob. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Dun, dun, dun. Mic push because we don't drop the mics here. Yeah. <laughs> well, it depends on the day, but no, we're not supposed You're to. You're like, we don't drop them, we throw them. <laughs>